Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ho, ho, ho. A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens is one of the most formative and traditional pieces of Christmas literature, spreading the message of goodwill and generosity for the festive season and reviving Christmas cheer across the nation. But what about the ghosts? What can we learn about the paranormal from Jacob Marley and the three temporal ghosts that appear? Welcome back to Paranormal Activity with me, Yvette Fielding, and this week we're exploring festive ghosts and a Christmas carol. (laughs) Now let's kick things off with this week's fact or fiction. Supernatural storytelling became a festive tradition for Victorian England and families would tell ghost stories during the Christmas season. Is this fact or fiction? Find out at the end of the show. Christmas Carol was first published in 1843 and it follows Ebenezer Scrooge on a bleak Christmas Eve, seven years after the death of his business partner, Jacob Marley. Scrooge hates Christmas, refusing dinner with his nephew Fred and turning away the poor and needy who knock on his door. Begrudgingly, he allows his overworked and underpaid clerk Bob Cratchit to take Christmas leave, only due to social obligation of the time. The Cratchit family represents Dickens' own upbringing, which was very poor and devoid of basic amenities needed to live. Dickens wants to shine a light on how people withhold generosity. He felt that Christmas should be about giving, celebrating with family and friends and taking a break from the industrial Victorian ethos of working to the bone. And it worked. Since Dickens published A Christmas Carol, the nation began to celebrate a holiday which was rarely celebrated before. His message of taking care of the vulnerable and being a better person in the harshness of winter resonated with those who read the tale. People started making time for families and friends, putting up decorations and inviting people into their homes and their lives. But what inspired Scrooge to change his ways? Well, it was a visit from four ghosts, of course. First, it was Jacob Marley, Scrooge's old business partner. He appears in chains and money boxes, cursed to roam the streets with the weight of his greed in life. Marley warned Scrooge that the desire to make money and disregard those less fortunate in the process led to his shackles and that Scrooge would be visited by three spirits. He must heed the words of these spirits or else face an even worse fate with heavier chains than Marley's. And sure enough, the first ghost appears, the ghost of Christmas past. The purpose of this ghost is to revisit Scrooge's childhood, to remind him of a time when he was an innocent child. We see a different side to Scrooge. He was lonely at boarding school, lost his dear sister when she gave birth to Fred, and had a fond relationship with his boss, Mr Fizzywig. 
Dickens is suggesting that people who are cruel usually have their own demons, so to speak. For example, Scrooge doesn't have the capacity to form friendships due to his loneliness at boarding school, finding them pointless in his pursuit for money. Do you know, this made me think because last week I was investigating Shrewsbury Prison once again with Most Haunted Experience. Gosh, I love that place. Anyway, as I stood in the hanging room, the last place some prisoners would take their final breath before the hangman's noose took them to the other side, the familiar knocking and tapping began all around the floor. And it was the spirit of George Riley. You've heard me speak about this gentleman before. He was a prisoner who was hanged when he was only 21 in 1961. He was the last prisoner to be hanged at Shrewsbury Prison. Now, I've spoken, as you know, with the spirit of George many times, and he's told me that he was innocent of the crime he was convicted for. I asked him, did he know who had committed the crime? And... He said that he was waiting for them as the real murderer was still living. When I asked if he was angry and vengeful, he responded that he was not and that he was there to help the true murderer over as he would be frightened as to what was coming his way. Of course, what he meant by this was the real murderer was so frightened because of what he'd done in life that he was going to face hell and damnation, as a lot of people did, particularly if we go back, oh goodness me, a uh, hundred years and even more, and because religion really was, my goodness me, the pivotal point in a lot of people's lives. So of course, the real murderer is, because he's still alive, terrified of what's waiting for him. And George Riley was saying that he had forgiven the murderer and that his job was to help that spirit when he came over, when it was his time to depart this earth plane. Well, knowing this information really helped me to understand that when we pass on, we have no ill feeling towards anyone that has done us harm in the living world. So I believe that spirits can really help us, not only in this life, but in the next. And I think Charles Dickens was onto something whilst writing this classic. Anyway, back to the book and the ghosts. The second spirit, the ghost of Christmas present, shows Scrooge what is happening outside his secluded bubble. He takes Scrooge to a market where people are preparing for their Christmas dinners. They then go to Fred's Christmas party, which Scrooge avoided, and finally visit Bob Cratchit's house. Bob's son, Tiny Tim, is shown as severely ill, and the spirit warns Scrooge that if things stay on their current path, Tim will die. Despite his illness, Tim is shown as in good spirits, pardon the pun. He's genuinely happy, still seeing the joy in life. And this is meant to reflect that Scrooge has the health, but is still unhappy and ultimately that you must make your own joy. Finally, the ghost of Christmas yet to come appears. This ghost is silent and I remember watching the movie of this and it was the one that terrified me the most. Well, this ghost, as I said, is really silent. Oh, uh, allowing uh, their stoic presence to command attention. My goodness me, and didn't it just? The ghost shows Scrooge a funeral on a future Christmas day. The man who died was clearly disliked. People only attended for the food, stealing his possessions to sell to a fence, a.k.a. someone who flips stolen goods. 
Overcome with sorrow at this sight, Scrooge asks for a more emotional scene. He's shown the Cratchit family mourning the death of Tiny Tim. Finally, Scrooge sees his own neglected grave, and this inspires Scrooge to change his ways. Now, are you sitting comfortably? Then I shall begin. Here's an excerpt from A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, Stay 4, The Last of the Spirits. Baffled, the fact podcast bringing you some amazing facts that are complete nonsense. More people in the world have mobile phones than toilets. Since most people are right-handed, in World War II, the Germans trained their army to eat with their left hand so they could spot spies in the cafeteria. A woodpecker's tongue actually wraps all the way around its brain, protecting it from damage when it's hammering into a tree. You can find us wherever you got this podcast. Just search for Baffled Amazing Facts. The phantom slowly, gravely, silently approached. When it came near him, Scrooge bent down upon his knee, for in the very air through which this spirit moved, it seemed to scatter gloom and mystery. It was shrouded in a deep black garment, which concealed its head, its face, its form, and left nothing of its visible save, one outstretched hand. For this it would have been difficult to detach its figure from the night and separate it from the darkness by which it was surrounded. He felt that it was tall and stately when it came beside him and that its mysterious presence filled him with a solemn dread. He knew no more, for the spirit neither spoke nor moved. "'I am in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come,' said Scrooge. The spirit answered not, but pointed onward with its hand." You are about to show me shadows of the things that have not happened, but will happen in the time before us, Scrooge pursued. Is that so, spirit? Although well used to ghostly company by this time, Scrooge feared the silent shape so much that his legs trembled beneath him, and he found that he could hardly stand when he prepared to follow it. The spirit paused a moment as observing his condition and giving him time to recover. But Scrooge was all the worse for this. It thrilled him with a vague, uncertain horror to know that behind the dusky shroud there were ghostly eyes intently fixed upon him, while he, though he stretched his own to the utmost, could see nothing but a spectral hand and one great heap of black. "'Ghost of the future!' he exclaimed. "'I fear you more than any spectre I have seen. "'But as I know,' Your purpose is to do me good, and as I hope to live to be another man from what I was, I am prepared to bear you company and do it with a thankful heart. Will you not speak to me? It gave him no reply. The hand was pointed straight before them. Lead on, said Scrooge. Lead on. The night is waning fast, and it is precious time to me. I know. Lead on, spirit. They scarcely seemed to enter the city, for the city rather seemed to spring up about them and encompass them of its own act. The spirit stopped besides one little knot of a businessman. Observing that the hand was pointing to them, Scrooge advanced to listen to their talk. No, said a great fat man with a monstrous chin. I don't know much about it either way. I only know he's dead. When did he die? inquired another. Last night, I believe. Why? What was the matter with him? 
asked a third, taking a vast quantity of snuff out of a very large snuff box. I thought he'd never die. God knows, said the first with a yawn. What's he done with his money? asked a red-faced gentleman with a pendulous excrescence on the end of his nose that shook like the gills of a turkey cock. I haven't heard, said the man with the large chin yawning again. Left it to his company, perhaps. He hasn't left it to me, that's... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. So all I know, this pleasantry was received with a general laugh. It's likely to be a very cheap funeral, said the same speaker. For upon my life, I don't know of anybody to go to it. Suppose we make a party and volunteer. I don't mind going if a lunch is provided, observed the gentleman with the excrescence on the nose. But I must be fed if I make one. Scrooge was at first inclined to be surprised that the spirit should attach importance to conversations apparently so trivial. But feeling assured that they must have some hidden purpose, he set himself to consider what it was likely to be. They could scarcely be supposed to have any bearing on the death of Jacob, his old partner, for that was past, and this ghost's province was the future. Nor could he think that anyone immediately connected with himself to whom he could apply them. But nothing doubting that, to whomever they applied, they had some latent moral for his own improvement. He resolved to treasure up every word he heard and everything he saw, and especially to observe the shadow of himself when it appeared. Quiet and dark, beside him stood the phantom with its outstretched hand. Scrooge fancied from the turn of the hand and its situation in reference to himself that the unseen eyes were looking at him keenly. It made him shudder and feel very cold. They left the busy scene and went into an obscure part of the town. The ways were foul and narrow, the shops and houses wretched, the people half-naked, drunken, slipshod, ugly. Alleys and archways, like so many cesspools, disgorged with offences of smell and dirt and life upon the straggling streets, and the whole quarter reeked with crime, with filth and misery. Far in this den of infamous resort, there was a low-browed beetling shop below a penthouse roof where iron, old rags, bottles, bones and greasy offal were bought. 
Sitting in among the wares by a charcoal stove made of old bricks was a grey-haired rascal, nearly 70 years of age, who had screened himself from the cold air by a frowsy curtaining of miscellaneous tatters hung upon a line and smoked his pipe in all the luxury of calm retirement. Scrooge and the Phantom came into the presence of this man, just as a woman with a heavy bundle slunk into the shop. Another woman, similarly laden, came in too, and she was closely followed by a man in faded black, who was no less startled by the sight of them than they had been upon the recognition of each other. After a short period of blank astonishment in which the old man with the pipe had joined them, they all three burst into a laugh. "'What odds, then? What odds, Mrs Dilber?' said the woman. "'Every person has a right to take care of themselves. He always did.' "'That's true indeed,' said the laundress. "'No man more so.' "'Why, then, don't stand staring as if you was afraid, woman. Who's the wiser? "'We're not going to pick holes in each other's coats, I suppose.' "'No, indeed,' said Mrs Dilber and the man together. "'We should hope not.' "'Very well, then,' cried the woman. "'That's enough. Who's the worse for the loss of a few things like these? "'Not a dead man, I suppose.' "'No, indeed,' said Mrs Dilber, laughing. "'If he wanted to keep him after he was dead, wicked old screw,' pursued the woman. "'Why wasn't he natural in his lifetime? "'If he had been, he'd have had someone to look after him when he was struck with death. "'He said a lying, gasping at his last there, alone by himself.' "'It's the truest word that ever was spoke,' said Mrs Dilber. "'It's a judgment on him. "'I wish it was a little heavier judgment,' replied the woman. "'Spirit!' said Scrooge, shuddering from head to foot. "'I see, I see. "'The case of this unhappy man might be my own. "'My life tends that way now. "'Merciful heaven, what is this?' "'He recoiled in terror, for the scene had changed, "'and now he almost touched a bed, a bare uncurtained bed on which beneath a ragged sheet there lay a something covered up which though it was dumb announced itself in awful language a pale light rising in the outer air fell straight upon the bed and on it plundered and bereft unwatched unwept uncared for was the body of this man Oh, cold, cold, rigid, dreadful death, set up thine altar there and dress it with such terrors as thou hast thou command, for this is thy dominion, and see his good deeds springing from the wound to sow the world with life immortal. No voice pronounced these words in Scrooge's ears, and yet he heard them when he looked upon the bed. The man lay in the dark, empty house, with not a man, a woman, or a child to say that he was kind to me in this or that, and for the memory of one kind word, I will be kind to them. Spirit, he said, this is a fearful place. In leaving it, I shall not leave its lesson. Trust me, let us go. Still the ghost pointed with an unmoved finger to the head. I understand you, Scrooge returned. And I would do it if I could. But I have not the power, spirit. I have not the power. Again, it seemed to look upon him. If there is any person in the town who feels emotion caused by this man's death, said Scrooge, quite agonised, show that person to me, spirit. I beseech you. The spirit spread its dark robe before him for a moment like a wing and withdrawing it revealed a room of daylight where a mother and her children were. 
She was expecting someone, and with anxious eagerness, for she walked up and down the room, starting at every sound, looked out from the window, glanced at the clock, tried but in vain to work with her needle, and could hardly bear the voices of the children in their play. At length, the long-expected knock was heard. She hurried to the door and met her husband, a man whose face was careworn and depressed, though he was young. There was a remarkable expression in it now, a kind of serious delight of which he felt ashamed and which he struggled to repress. He sat down to the dinner that had been hoarding for him by the fire, and when she asked him faintly what good news, which was not until after a long silence, he appeared embarrassed how to answer. Is it good, she said, or bad to help him? Bad, he answered. We are quite ruined. No, there is hope yet, Caroline. If he relents, she said amazed, there is. Nothing is past hope, if such a miracle has happened. Scrooge then awakens on Christmas morning, a changed man. He donates to charity, sends a large turkey to the Cratchit home anonymously and spends the afternoon at Fred's Christmas party. Can you imagine if this happened to everyone? Three ghosts came to see you on Christmas Eve to show you how you were doing so far in your life. All the good things you had done and still to do and how you could improve as a person to help your fellow man. I wonder if the world would become a better place. What do you think? And what do you think would be shown to you? The significance of these spirits is the essence of the story. It isn't a traditional force of nature which drives Scrooge to change his ways, but a force from the other side, which instead shines a light on humanity. Ghosts can compel with their transient nature, their wisdom and their power. We can encounter ghosts who are disruptive and malicious, who make noise and move objects around like poltergeists. But what if there was a meaning behind these things? Marley's spirit offers Scrooge a fright, a familiar face changed by death, but this scary apparition is a sign to Scrooge that he could face the same fate. Could it be that the spirits we may encounter are reflecting some aspect of our own lives? This is certainly the case for Scrooge, who was changed by his supernatural experience for the better. Of course, this is a work of fiction. We cannot assume apparitions we find are supposed to teach us a lesson. But Dickens found inspiration in his own life when writing A Christmas Carol. For example, his own upbringing resembling that of the Cratchit family. And Dickens visited the Field Lane Ragged School, an establishment for London street children, before writing this novel. What he saw evoked a feeling of responsibility to urge people to change their ways and consider those less fortunate. Over a century later, we see iterations of this story told over and over again. It has stood the test of time, captivating people across the globe who perhaps hadn't paid much mind to the presence of the supernatural. But it suggests we could find a reflection of ourselves in the things we encounter and cannot explain. And that perhaps there's a deeper meaning to be found. Now, let's get the answer to this week's fact or fiction to remind you it was. Supernatural storytelling became a festive tradition for Victorian England and families would tell ghost stories during the Christmas season. So what do you think? Well, the answer is... 
I think most of you would get this right, fact, it was in Victorian England that telling supernatural tales at the end of the year, specifically during the Christmas season, went from an oral tradition to a timely trend. This was in part due to the development of the steam-powered printing press during the Industrial Revolution that made the written word more widely available. This gave the Victorians the opportunity to commercialise existing ghost stories spoken aloud, turning them into a printed version that they could sell. Higher literacy rates, cheaper printing costs and more periodicals meant that editors needed to fill pages. Around Christmas time, they realised they could convert the old storytelling tradition to a novel format. We'll have a wonderful, fantastic Christmas. I hope you've all been good and I hope you get the presents and the love that you all deserve. I'm thinking of you. Have a wonderful, happy, merry Christmas. Get in touch with me and share your stories at contact at paranormalpod.co.uk or I am on WhatsApp. Here's the number 075999 27537. And uh, we are on Instagram. The handle is at activity pod stay up to date with the newest episodes by giving us a follow and we'll be back again same time next week but if you can't wait until then visit www.paranormalpod.co.uk where you can find options to get episodes a day early merry christmas everyone have a great time and remember things aren't always as they seem ho 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 